0: Peter writes, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What do you do when a lion attacks you? A video's gone uh, viral of a Utah man who, uh, actual, on his phone, he was uh, videotaping a a mountain lion that was following him. For six minutes, that lion uh, followed him, repeatedly charged him. Uh, He tried to talk nice to that lion. Um, He just slowly backed down the road. And uh, that was his mistake. You don't talk nice to an aggressive lion. Finally, he picked up a rock, and there had been rocks the whole time along this trail. And he threw that rock at the mountain lion, and it immediately fled. In another incident recently in Colorado, a 31-year-old Travis Kaufman uh, fought with the lion for 10 minutes before killing the animal and freeing himself. And he was out hiking, and as he was hiking along, he heard a rustle behind him, and he turned, and there was a young mountain lion about 10 feet away, and he did what he st- was supposed to do, Put your arms up, make yourself look big, and uh, act aggressive, and yell at it. Uh, But the lion pounced on him anyways. And uh, it managed to uh, lock his jaws on his wrist, and it wrapped his legs around his body, uh, front legs around to hold him in, and his back legs raking at his body. And so locked in that struggle for life or death, and he thought he was going to die, They tumbled off the trail down into a gully, and uh, they landed with him on top of the lion. The lion was still raking at his body, and uh, he was still locked onto his wrist. And uh, there were some sticks there, and he tried to hit the lion with that, but the sticks just broke. And he finally managed to get his back leg uh, in and kind of locked the back legs of the lion so it couldn't uh, rake at his body. And and then he got his uh, other leg in uh, and his foot onto his neck. And he just kept the pressure there until he suffocated the lion. So what do you do when a lion attacks? Well, the experts say make yourself really similar to a bear. As big as you can, put your arms up, uh, yell back or roar back as loud as you can and fight back. You stand your ground. That's how you fight a lion. And as we come to the end of 1 Peter 5, Peter describes our battle with another lion. Satan. So he says, be self-controlled and alert your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. So let's talk about resisting that old lion, the devil. How do we fight back with him? How do we successfully resist him? And the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. And Byron just read another whole passage about that. But we're going to mostly stay in the context of 1 Peter here. And that context is humility. We talked about that last week. Resisting the devil begins in humility. Peter says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humility is the safest place to be in regards to the lion's attack. Verse 6 says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Humility puts yourself under God's hand and in God's hand. And he says, when you humble yourself under his hand, God will lift you up in due time. When it comes to the devil's attacks, there's no better place to be than to be in the place of God's hand. And that takes humility to be there. The Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And I'm not saying that the devil's not dangerous here. But being lifted up by the hand of God is a good place to be when Satan attacks you. You can't be in a better place. But on the other side, pride leaves you out from under the hand of God. Pride leaves you wide open and vulnerable. Pride leaves you thinking that you're invincible. But it's a false security. Goliath, as he marched out onto the battlefield, challenging and mocking the Israelites, he thought of himself as invincible. He was so big that he made the Israelite warriors seem small. He had the best armor of the day. He had a sword and a spear bigger than anyone else's. He had a shield to protect him. And as he swaggered up and down the field, yelling insults, the Israelite men trembled. No one wanted to go out against Goliath. And then a teenage boy with no combat experience, no armor, only a sling in hand, stepped out to challenge him. And Goliath, in his pride, could not envision a boy to be a threat to him it would have seemed like he was being mocked that you send out an unarmored inexperienced boy to come out and fight him but goliath's pride kept him from recognizing his own weakness he was all co- he was covered over with armor but he had a vulnerability his forehead wasn't covered a small target But not a challenge for a young boy who had spent hundreds, perhaps thousands of hours entertaining himself with a sling while he herded sheep. These shepherd boys became so good that one of the tribes, it says that they could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. So when you set up a target, they didn't set up a bullseye. That was too big. They set up a line, a thin line and they would hit it. They slung four to five pound rocks and David knew just right where to put that rock and he had the skill to do it. And Goliath in his pride did not even recognize his vulnerability. Pride's like that. It leaves us unprotected. It leaves us vulnerable. It leaves us wide open to Satan's attacks. And Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities. And he's had a long time to study the human race and know exactly how to attack us. He knows exactly how to tempt you. He knows how to attack you, how to discourage you. He knows what lies to present to you. He knows what doubts to throw at you. And as long as you continue in your pride, you're vulnerable to those attacks. For this reason, Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Then in verse 8, Peter goes on to say, he says, be self-controlled and alert. And Peter begins the book and he ends the book with this same thought. He begins the book by saying, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. We talked about that earlier. A mind... That he says is to be focused on the hope that is to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do. We're to have minds, he's saying, focused on eternity. A mind seeking to practice holiness. A mind that's doing that is prepared for action. It's a mind that is learning self-control. Now being in the hand of God doesn't mean that you can relax against the devil's schemes. Because a life, a successful walk of holiness requires alertness and self-control. That word alertness. We don't need to be caught unawares by the devil. Sun Sunsi's ancient book, that it's still studied today, uh, How to Conduct Warfare called the Art of War. It has a piece of vice in there. It's become a famous pro- proverb. And it's this. Know your enemy, know yourself, and you cannot lose. A Japanese version of the proverb says, Know your enemy, know yourself, and you will not fear a hundred battles. I believe that's what Peter's talking about here in the alertness. We need to know ourselves and we need to know our enemy. Alertness is an awareness of yourself, your own vulnerabilities. And it's an awareness of Satan's strategies against you. You don't need to be caught off guard. Know where you're vulnerable. Know how Satan tempts and attacks you. And if you know that, your vulnerabilities and how he's going to attack you in your vulnerability, you can prepare a defense and an offense that leaves you victorious and Satan defeated. Let's take pornography, for example, you struggle, if you struggle with that. And in your vulnerability, you find out that you're vulnerable when you're tired and you're up late and you're alone. And you know Satan is going to attack you then. Because he's used that strategy over and over you, so you know what Satan's going to do. You now can take steps to prepare victory for you in your life gossip. Let's say you get together with a group of friends regularly and their conversation centers around gossip. And you have found yourself vulnerable to that, that when you sit with these friends and they're gossiping, you enter into gossip too and you enjoy it. So you know your own vulnerability and you know how Satan has attacked you in the past. You can now take steps to overcome it. On we can go with any of our vulnerabilities. And then Peter uses that word self-control. Only you can do this. I can't put self-control in your life. No one else can. You're the one that's going to have to learn that. But for you to put your alertness into positive action, it will require self-control. Without you developing self-control, it all comes to nothing. Nothing. So here's why humility, alertness, and self-control are so important. Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So that old saying, the devil's out to get you, is literally true, he's saying. Now a lot has been said in sermons. I've heard it before about lions roaring and paralyzing uh, the prey with fear and then pouncing on the prey. The problem is the lion experts say lions don't hunt that way. A lion is a cat and acts like a cat when hunting. You ever watched your cat hunting? You watched it sneaking along trying to be as quiet as possible and when the opportunity is right it pounces or it rushes fast after that prey? You know I've watched that many times and I've never seen the now a cat can't roar. But have you ever seen your cat When it's about ready to pounce, just meows as loudly as it can. Never. It's quiet. They try just to take it unaware. Experts tell us that lions roar for other reasons. Male lions roar to let other lions know that they're there and that they're dominant. Really, they're saying, this is my territory and you stay out of it. They'll roar to communicate with the pride. Lions roar almost exclusively at night, mostly just before dawn when the wind is still and the sound carries far. And yet Peter gives us this picture of a lion prowling around, roaring as it goes, looking for someone to devour. He's taking two different behaviors that lions don't do at once, and he's mixing them together to get his point across. Now, we're not too familiar with lions here, So let me switch the story up from a lion to a bear, since I don't have experience with lions, but I do have some experience with bears. And yes, I've had close bear encounters, and yes, I've been charged by a bear, and so on. But I'm not gonna tell my stories. I'm gonna tell from a couple other men. One young man in uh, one of our former churches, he got a job, uh, he was just out of high school a year (coughs) or so, I got a job one summer surveying uh, timber. And uh, the helicopter had dropped him and another man off miles back in the bush, and they each had a specific area that they were to survey. Uh, They were about a mile apart from each other. And while he was working, he noticed a bear just sticking his head out and looking at him. And it disappeared, and he kept working, and it kept popping his head out and looking at him. Finally, it just stayed there, and so he yelled at it, and back into the bush it went, but as an hour or two went on, this bear just kept following him and was getting bolder and bolder. Finally, it started uh, showing aggressive behavior, huffing at him and stamping and bouncing on his paws and started to charge at him, and a few feet back, it would just stop, and So he was getting a bit worried at this time, so he radioed his partner, and his partner started coming towards him as fast as he could, but he had about a mile to go through the bush. and The bear, uh, he was making himself big and yelling at it and so on, and he found a stick, and the bear was getting more aggressive, and uh, it was actually charging right up to a foot or two, and uh, only stopping as he actually took the stick, and he would poke it in the nose, and it would back up. And uh, his partner got there and eventually the helicopter uh, came and uh, they were lifted out of there. He said, meanwhile, I was thinking through that whole time. This was the last minutes of my life. Later telling me the story, he said, Don, he says, I thought I knew how to pray. But he said, that day I really learned what it was to pray. Let me tell another story that turned even more serious. Another man I know that's helicopter pilot. His job was taking oil and gas workers into the bush to check wells and on this particular day, the worker was a woman and uh, they'd landed at a well site and uh, she'd uh, gone to check the well. And as she was doing so, unaware to her, but he saw it, way across the clearing, a bear came just charging full at her. He grabbed a can of bear spray, jumped out of the helicopter and ran towards her, yelling for her to get in the helicopter and he got in between her and the bear And uh, he stood his ground until he saw that she was safe in the helicopter. And he began to back towards the helicopter, keeping his eyes on the bear, uh, again making himself big, yelling at the bear, and the bear followed him, just growling, huffing, and bouncing on its paws, trying to intimidate him. And suddenly he tripped, and he fell over backwards. The bear spray went flying, and instantly the bear was on him, mauling him. He looked around to see where the bear spray had gone and the bear had him by the arm, was chewing on his arm. And uh, he saw the bear spray several feet away and so uh, he managed to pull himself over there. Meanwhile, the bear just kept chewing on him as he uh, crawled over to it and he sprayed the bear in the mouth and um, the bear fled. And so badly chewed up, he had to fly the helicopter out of there. Well, this is the kind of picture that Peter's trying to give us of the devil. Satan is going around trying to intimidate us. He's trying to create fear. When lions roar, and if I was walking out in the bush at night and I heard a lion roar, I'm sure I'd, I'd be scared. If a bear's charging you, growling, huffing, and bouncing on its paws, that's intimidating. And that's its intent, is to intimidate you. And so the specific situation that Peter is talking to is the context of suffering. And especially suffering that's happening underneath the persecution. And it's intimidating. Now we can experience that fear today too. Talk about what's happening in this world and where it's going. And people tend to fear. Talk about losing rights and freedoms. And people tend to fear. Talk about a growing hatred towards Christianity. And people fear. Talk about special interest groups taking over the media and society. And Christians fear. What are we going to face? What are our children going to face? And that's Satan's tactic is to instill fear. But Satan uses fear in so many other situations. It may be a spouse that's being abused and fears, fears the abuse, fears losing the marriage. It may be a business that is struggling and the owner fears the loss. An employee who fears losing his or her job and the stress that's going to follow. A student that fears that coming exam. A teen who fears the peer pressure that's coming his or her way. The list is endless. But Satan loves to get fear into your life. He specializes in taking our situations and using fear against us. Because fear immobilizes. Fear causes us often to cave into the pressure. Fear often causes us to make unwise decisions. Fear often causes us to doubt God. So often fear defeats us. And so often Satan's like that lion roaring or that bear bouncing on his paws, huffing and making a bluff charge trying to get you to give in to fear. You know, you are in the hand of God. And Satan's goal when he's trying to make you fear is for you to step away from the hand of God. As I studied this, I just thought of what fear does to you. If I put a two-by-four on the ground here and ask you to walk down it, Most of you are going to walk right down that 2x4 and you'd have no trouble staying on it. Put that 2x4 50 feet in the air and there's going to be a lot of people, if you walk down that 2x4, you would fall off. What's the difference between on the ground and up there? Simply fear. Fear. Fear has that effect on us. And that's what Satan's trying to do, is give in to your fear. The other thing that Satan specializes in is lies. Lies designed to create doubts about yourself, doubts about others, and especially doubts about God. Lies designed to create fear often. Lies designed to believe you that fulfillment comes through pleasures and the things of this world. Lies designed to lead to dissatisfactions. My house is too small. It's not as good as someone else's. My car or truck is too old. My friend just got a new one, and it's got that new car smell. I don't have enough money. My marriage is dull, and someone else just looks more exciting. Work is boring. I need an exciting holiday. You know, Satan spends billions every year trying to get you dissatisfied. And it works on so many. In answer to this, Peter says resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Resist him. You're not defenseless against the devil. You have the ability to resist, you have the weapons to use against him. Go back to that man that for six minutes that mountain lion followed him down the trail. Bluff charging, putting his paws out wide and making the dust fly. And he was trying to talk nice to him. He didn't resist. He just kept backing away. The moment he resisted, picked up a rock and threw it, the lion fled. Now, does this always work, instantly? No, my friend who had the bear following him went through about a half hour of fear, even though he was resisting but his resistance kept him alive kept the bear from attacking overpowering him the helicopter pilot who stumbled and fell would have been killed and more seriously injured if he hadn't resisted and used the bear spray you aren't powerless against the devil's attacks jesus jesus was tempted in the wilderness he met each of satan's attacks with the truth and each time he defeated the temptation that Satan was throwing at him. Resist him. James heckles Peter and tells us how to resist the devil. He says, submit yourselves to God. That's how we resist the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. Submit. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. So James is doing the same thing that Peter did. Resistance begins in humbling ourselves before God. And so Peter also tells us to stand firm in our faith. And Satan tries to attack our faith. He tries to sow doubts. Do you really care, God? Where are you, God? God. Is creation really true? Will you take care of me, God? Can I trust you? Is it really worth it to lose everything for your sake? We go back to the same thing Jesus did. We take the truth of our faith and we apply it to the situation. If you're not daily learning the truth, the truth of your faith, how can you resist the devil? keep going back to the truths of your faith, reaffirming them, recommitting yourselves to them. We resist them by standing on truth. Peter says, resist them standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And so Peter's saying, you're not alone in this. Christians all over the world are also engaged in this battle. Take heart, just as you are suffering, they are suffering. Just as you are struggling, they also struggle, but they are, You're in a great company of Christians that are walking victoriously in that. And so can you. And then Peter finishes and he says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. The God of all grace, stand on that truth. God hasn't abandoned you to Satan. You may have fallen, you may be chewed up a bit by him, but God hasn't abandoned you. And I've wondered if Peter is thinking back to a time when he fell and Christ had warned him. But a young girl questioned him if he was a disciple of Jesus and he denied that three times. And after the resurrection, Jesus Takes Peter aside there on the beach, and he's so gracious in restoring Peter. Peter, do you love me? He doesn't cuff him on the side of the head and say, why did you deny me? Just, Peter, do you love me? Peter, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. He was so gracious. And we still have that same gracious God that restores us when we fall In his grace, he may let you suffer for a time, but when he does, it always has a good purpose. It's through suffering, through that struggle, that we learn and grow and mature. As Paul said, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love in our hearts. So though it may seem like right now, today, your suffering has no good purpose, there is a purpose in it. God does not waste our suffering. He's bringing us through to a better place in his grace, even if you can't see it at this point. Peter says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Stand on that. Even though you can't see God's hand right now in your life, He's working to restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And he's going to keep working to bring you through to that. 1 Thessalonians. The benediction, he says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Through whatever you're going through, it's, Paul is saying, God is faithful to carry you through. He's going to do it. Philippians, Paul said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God never gives up on you. And so Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, God will do this. Now our dream is to get rid of all suffering, but that's not necessarily God's dream for us. Yes, often he does relieve us from suffering, and one day he'll remove all suffering from us for all eternity. But right now, suffering is a tool in God's hand to bring us through to glory. So here's God's promise to you. God himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God is the God of grace. He won't let you face that suffering alone. When you take yourself in your pride outside of his hand, it may feel like you're alone. But God is simply saying, I'm still there. Just humble yourself under my hand. And I'll restore you when you fall. I'll make you strong, firm, and steadfast, and I have the power to do it. Therefore, humble yourself under God's hand, and he'll lift you up. And so when you leave this morning, some of you are going to hear the lion roar this afternoon. Some of you came to church hearing the lion roaring. And Peter's message is, resist him, stand firm in your faith, and he will flee from you.